Good morning. This is a small congregation this morning, so we have to be very mighty. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you. You are the great high God of all the universe, creator of everything. Yeah, as you reminded us today as we studied Psalm 46, you really are the blessed controller of all things. You, um, you give us grace and you give us mercy and you also uh, call us to task when necessary. And Lord, for all of these things, we are truly grateful that you are the blessed controller of all things. So now, Father, I ask you to be with us in our service, that you would uh, speak to us through Pastor Ray and that we too would be a sweet uh, melody in, at the uh, throne of uh, praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If you wanted to join me, you could have. <clears throat> redeemed by love. We are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. The word redeemed means to buy back to recover by paying a price. The word redeemed can be illustrated by the ancient world through the position of a slave who had been captured in battle or enticed into serving another one that was not his legal master. His real master, however, intent on recovering his slave's service and love would buy him back, redeem him from the enemy at a great personal, personal cost. That is what God did for us. Captured by Satan and enticed into his service, we were slaves to sin without any hope of deliverance. But God still loved us, and he was determined to restore us into his household. By his death on the cross, Jesus paid the price for our deliverance, a price that is greater than our own true value. He did it solely because he loved us. Now we have been redeemed. Hope for today. An object is only worth what is someone is willing to pay for it. God looked down from heaven, saw us stained with sin and trying to cover our own selves and was willing to sacrifice his son to redeem us. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Amen. are small. If you'd like to stand and join us, great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Let your banner let the anthems ring. Praises to our King. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Great and mighty is 
the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Lift your banner, let the anthems ring. Praises to our King. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He.
We're going to go back to Genesis this morning. Genesis 8. And one verse of Genesis 9. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. This is him leaving the ark. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And that's the way it is. If you'd like to, if you'd like to stand with me, we'd read the 23rd Psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I'd love to tell the story if you'd like to stand.
Testament reading today comes from Paul's second letter to Timothy, verses, chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach, and because I preach this good news, I am suffering, have been chained like a criminal but the word of God cannot be changed. I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains unfaithful, for we cannot deny who he is. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear him. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. If you'd like to join, excuse me, join me now in uh, 
the responsive reading. We light a candle and enjoy the flickering light, the fragrance and warmth it creates. But without the spark that ignites, there will be no flame. Without the wax, the source of power, the wick will not burn. Without the flame, there will be no fragrance, no warmth, no light. And so with us, Lord, you are the catalyst that ignites us and the fuel that sustains us. You fill us with your fragrance as you enter our lives. You empower us to carry your flame in our hearts, to be the fragrance, warmth, and light of your love in this dark world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father and creator of the universe, Lord, all belongs to you and you have shared with us. You are willing to allow us to partake of, your, of those things that you have blessed us with. But you also call upon us to bless others, to help others, to help others come to know you. So we ask that the gifts that we have given today, that they be used wisely and they be used in a way that is pleasing to you. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. he tells you. Fill them with water. What can we do with water? Fill them and take them to the steward. What do you think? It's a joke. He's very stern. He'll be furious. Fill them and take them to the steward. 
Let us pray. Father, our world is in turmoil and chaos, but we bless your name that we find safe harbor in you. Father, I ask you to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, anoint every word this morning for your glory and the exhortation of these good people. And I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. My sermon title this morning is, You Save the Best for Last. The text is the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you can't guess, we'll, we will be studying the wedding at Cana. But first, let's recap uh, what we learned so far from the Gospel of John. <clears throat> and by the way, we will continue in John through uh, the end of the year. John 1.14b, And we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. One and only. Unique in all the cosmos, Unique in the whole of time and eternity. Unique in all experience, human and divine. This incarnation of God, fully man, fully God. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, shared His life, His love, revealed His passion for us, inspired our dreams, assuaged our fears, shared our joys and sorrows. Jesus' greatest joy in his earthly ministry was winning souls and introducing them to the kingdom of God. How do we know this? Jesus tells us in his own words. Luke chapter 15, verse 7, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need repentance. Joy and evangelism go hand in hand. If you don't have the joy of the Lord, you will find it really hard to share your faith in Jesus. Or as we say down south, if you ain't sharing, you ain't caring. In other words, if your joy tank isn't full, don't try to preach Jesus. But conversely, if your joy tank is full, you can't help yourself. You have to share. Today we will learn how much Jesus cared and the joy he received from being the light and life of mankind. He was not so busy preaching, teaching, and establishing the kingdom of God that he couldn't take some time out for a family gathering, namely a wedding in Cana. We will join him in Cana in just a moment, but first back to John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. The literal translation from the Greek is God pitched his tent among us. For the Jews hearing this verse, God pitched his tent among us, 
would have carried their thoughts back to the book of Numbers. When God spoke through Moses and instructed the Israelites to pitch his tent, his tabernacle, the place of meeting, squarely in the middle of all the tribes. The positioning of the tribes as specified in the book of Numbers formed an outline of the cross. Three tribes at each point of the compass, north, south, east, and west, with the tabernacle squarely in the middle. Exodus chapter 13, verse 22. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What is our pillar of fire and cloud today? The Holy Spirit. Jesus pitched his tent in the middle of Israel and led them through the wilderness. And this is how Jesus revealed himself to Israel as Messiah, God incarnate. He positioned himself squarely in the middle of Jewish culture, squarely in the middle of Jewish life as he preached and taught in the temple. His teachings were fresh, they were poignant, and his parables were profound. They stirred not only people's imaginations, but their hearts. He was popular. And more than that, he was accessible. He was so accessible that if you invited him to a wedding, he showed up. Even if it meant he had to walk 90 miles from Jericho, he showed up. I don't know that I've walked 90 miles in my life. And he showed up, soli deo gloria. You remember last week? Latin, he showed up for the glory of God and God alone. Therefore, he and his disciples were inv invited to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 from the NLT. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Why was Jesus invited? Well, most theologians will agree that this had to be the wedding of a family member or a close family friend. But I'd submit to you Jesus was invited because he was fun. He literally was the life of the party. He lived what he preached, and that was the joy of the Lord. You felt like a better person just being around him. He was not the stereotypical stuffed shirt like the Pharisees. Not holier than thou. He was not morose and aloof. I was uh, sharing with John that uh, there was one video that I thought was a, a close second to the one 
we should. But the, the character that was portraying Jesus was, I don't know, um, taking heavy drugs or something. But he, he, he was stoic and, and looked dazed and confused. And I thought, that's not the Jesus I know. We, we, we can't show this clip. Not a stereotypical stuffed shirt. He didn't look down on you. He looked right at you. And he spoke the truth of God's love in such a way that you felt clean, righteous, loved, and accepted all at the same time. You say, Ray, how do you know this? Well, I've shared with you before that I met him on the streets of Bozeman, Montana. He uh, appeared to me as a street preacher. And he had the most beautiful steel guitar I've ever seen. But I started sharing with him of my experiences in seminary and that uh, I had uh, participated in squarely in the middle of the Jesus movement in L.A. And uh, at that, I, I was there on uh, Hollywood and Vine for the, uh, the Jesus marches. And uh, when Eric Clapton and Helen Reddy did uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, we dressed up like, uh, well, we, we met all those Hollywood uh, stars and wannabes as they came into the parking lot at the Hollywood Bowl. And we passed out a track. They thought it was the program to the, the night's event. But our track, described who the real Jesus superstar is. But as I was relating this, he, he kept smiling at me. And uh, I, I was mesmerized by his eyes. But the smile on his face, I, I, I can't explain it other than every word I said. He nodded and smiled like I was there. I was right beside you. I was there. And the feeling was indescribable. But when Jesus looked at you, you knew he was fixated on you and that you were the most important person in the conversation. Jesus didn't dress like the Pharisees. He didn't talk like the Pharisees and he didn't live like the Pharisees. He presented a kingdom of God that was as captivating as heaven itself. He had charisma and the fragrance of the spirit of the living God. He met people at the point of their need on the highway or the alley, the ghetto or the palace. And he healed them body, soul, and spirit. He enriched their faith by revealing to them a loving God. In the Gospels, we read of children flocking to Jesus. On one occasion, the disciples tried to shoo them away, and Jesus rebuked them, 
saying, let the children come to me, for such are the kingdom of God. Children don't flock to uh, curmudgeons. They don't flock to grumpy old men. Children flock to love, joy, and peace, which was the aura of Jesus. Jesus' charisma attracted everyone except the uh, Walters of that day. (laughs) Children just don't flock to this. They're, They're not enamored of that expression, not at all. I love Max Licato. <clears throat> He's my, uh, one of my favorite Christian authors. And in one of his books, he describes the Jesus he knows. And he said, were Jesus here today, he's the fellow that you would be most happy to invite to your house and watch the Packers play the Bears. <laughs> and he would be jumping up off the sofa at every touchdown and throwing popcorn at the TV for every fumble. He would be the life of the party. Jesus was just plain fun to be around, especially at a wedding. And at this particular wedding, he was dancing, laughing, cracking jokes, and thoroughly enjoying himself. And then this happens. John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. What's Jesus saying here? My time has not yet come. Did your mother ask you ever to do something you didn't want to do? And then gave you the glad eye. A request that was followed by the glad eye meant this would make me very happy. I think we tend to overlook just how special was the relationship between Jesus and his mother. Was there ever a more perfect son than Jesus? And this perfect son loved his mother. Don't you know Jesus' siblings always hated to hear Mary say, why can't you be more like Jesus? (laughs) Have you ever considered that Jesus actually changed the timeline of heaven here? Mother, my time has not yet come. What does that mean? He is saying to his mother, this is not the time the father and I had planned to perform my first miracle and launch my earthly ministry. Jesus and the father had scripted a timeline of every moment of Jesus' earthly ministry. My time has not yet come. By this he means that he and the father had not planned for this to be his first miracle. 
Yet he changes the divine timeline simply because he wants to please his mother. He sees what the father has set in motion and instinctively joins him. That's our task today. Through the Holy Spirit to discern what the father is doing and instantaneously join him. You say, I don't know about that. God changing the timeline of history simply because somebody asked. Hmm. Let's see, has that ever happened before? Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 14 from the NL, no, excuse me, the NIV. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Aalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Yashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. The ESV translate that the day the Lord heeded the voice of a man. In the immortal words of John Wesley, God does nothing until we pray. In the immutable words of Jesus, you have not because you ask not. Did God cause the earth to stop spinning? Or did he cause the sun to, to leave its place and rotate around the earth? We don't know. But if you can explain this, you can probably explain the star of Bethlehem. All I know is that when Jesus says nothing, is impossible with God. I believe it. When Mary asked Jesus to help, did she think Jesus would perform a miracle? Doubt it. Doubt it seriously. She knew who Jesus was. She knew he was Messiah, son of the living God. She knew he had supernatural wisdom. But more than anything, she knew he would have a remedy. Perhaps she thought he would send his disciples into town to get more wine. Problem being, the need was immediate. John chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold up to 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out. And take it to the master of ceremony. So the servants followed his instructions. Do the math. Six stone jars holding 20 to 30 gallons. If there were 130 people at this wedding, they all could have drank a gallon of wine. When Jesus uh, 
you might have left that party three seats to the wind. When Jesus feels the need, it's always ample. And I uh, marvel at how the meanings of words change in our culture. Today, we say ample is just barely enough. But you go to Webster's Dictionary, and ample means more than enough. Jesus always provides more than enough. But don't miss the correlation between stone jars that were used for ceremonial cleansing rather than Jesus using the existing clay jars, pots, and wineskins. What do the stone jars represent? Purity. And don't miss this. What does wine represent in the Scripture? Indeed. What does wine represent in the sacrament of the altar? Communion. The blood of Christ. The sacrificial blood of Christ. The atoning blood of Christ. Creator God, Jesus, he who simply spoke 300 billion galaxies into existence could have snapped his finger and filled every jar, pot, vessel, and river with wine within 100 miles of Cana, but he chose stone purification vessels. Why? The Jewish purification ritual represented repentance. An external cleaning or cleansing that represents our need of spiritual cleansing. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27 from the NLT. Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. After Jesus' ascension, I want you to think about this. After Jesus' ascension, did the disciples ever think back to the miracle at Cana, the the transforming of water to wine as a harbinger to what we now call communion, the sacrament of the altar. Did they wonder if in this miracle Jesus was offering a foreshadow of the sacrament of communion, a foreshadowing of the sacrifice he would soon make, wine from his own hand, signifying the blood that would soon flow out from his own body. The wedding at Cana is a foretaste of the wedding feast of the Lamb. John chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water, and when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And the servants followed his instructions. And just like the video, don't you know the servants were dipping their pitchers into these stone jars filled with water and they were thinking, 
whoa, this will not end well. When I pour this water out into the cup of the master of ceremonies, he's probably going to throw that cup at me. And they poured, and it had already turned to wine. Only the servants and the disciples knew what had happened. And don't you know they couldn't wipe the grin off their faces for the rest of the night? You know the rest of the story. The master of ceremony tastes the wine and immediately castigates the bridegroom. You've broke with tradition. You've saved the best for last. If you're truly walking with Jesus, if you have truly made him the Lord of your life, every day of your life will Jesus will be Jesus pouring out the best of himself, not only for your last days, but for every day until then. I hope that's your prayer this morning. Jesus, make my last my best. From this day forward, make every day of my life an adventure, a glorious adventure. We're a pretty mature congregation this morning. I don't see any young men who haven't started shaving. I don't see any young girls wearing designer skinny jeans. Most of us here this morning uh, will easily qualify for the over the hill gang. Therefore, we should all be praying, Lord, I know the years are passing by at breakneck speed. I know I'm approaching the last lap of my race. And therefore, I humbly ask that you would make my last my best. Make my last days on this earth a glory to your name. All of us should be praying the following. O oh Lord, pour out my life into your cup and then pour it out upon your altar as a special offering, a sweet-smelling incense of praise to your name. Anoint my head with the oil of your Holy Spirit and set my life on fire. Make it a torch of light to you and to everyone I encounter this week. Oh, Lord, make every day of my life of my life and homage to you that all may see Jesus in me and see him solely Deo Gloria. See the glory of God and God alone. Amen and amen. Revelation 19 verse 9 from the NLT. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Jesus has saved the best for last. And when this life is over, we don't go down to the grave. We go up to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And that's going to be the feast of ages.
That's going to be the grandest party ever. The question this morning is, has your ticket been punched? Have you RSVP'd to this heavenly invitation? Have you made peace with God? Have you answered his call upon your life? It took me many years to answer that call. Mine was a very broken road until 2005. I've told you before of my traffic accident that uh, totaled a perfectly good collector edition Corvette and almost totaled me. I thought I was dying. I knew every rib on my left side was crushed, and I thought, you know, if I keep lunging forward and trying to get out of this seat belt, a fractured rib could puncture my heart. Somebody came up and asked the ridiculous question, are you okay? My reply was, how's the other person? I T-boned somebody. How are they? She's fine. She walked away. Paramedics released her. And I remember looking up to heaven and thinking I was going to die. And I told the Lord, I'm sorry. I have made some pitiful mistakes. And when your wife walks up to the car that they're having to cut you out of, you think, Lord, just... uh, I don't deserve another chance, but I would love to see this baby she's carrying in her stomach. So if you need to make peace with God this morning, I'll be here all day. If you need me, I'll be here all day. I'll help you make that peace. Let us pray. Lord, remind us that repentance is not an emotion. It is not feeling sorry for our sins. It is a decision. It is deciding that we have been wrong in supposing that we could manage our own lives and be our own God. It is deciding that we were wrong in thinking that we had or could get the strength, the education, or the training to make it on our own. It is deciding that our culture has sold us a pack of lies about ourselves, about our neighbors, about our world. And it is deciding that God in Jesus Christ is telling us the truth. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim on the path to peace.
Father God, lead us home. Lead us to your heart, your perfect peace, which we can only find in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. We have a, uh, well, call it a benediction song. Wanted to give you a couple of moments to contemplate. Trust your promise. I've never seen you turn away. You have loved me undeserving. Oh, I have seen your mercy. Follow me all my days. Oh, it doesn't make sense how your love is so good. You call me your friend. Thought I was too far gone Now I know You're never gonna let me go You are good And you can only be good You can't be anything else You can't be anything
thank you for the reminder today that you're a Lord of joy, a Lord of laughter, that will share with us and, and, and rejoice with us when we come to you. Lord, so at this time, we humbly ask that you, that seed planted in our hearts, that we are never afraid and we always will come to you with our joys, our thanks, our praises, and our concerns, Lord, knowing you're always there for us. This we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 